Good morning. The scripture this morning is from the Gospel according to John, chapter 20, verses 14 through 23. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. If you would turn to the 20th chapter of John. We're going to go through that scripture. I I thank the worship team. I asked them to do some, some preparation for relationships and then to talk about the conflict and the pain that can come with the change in relationships. And so that's what we're going to do. By the way, I bring you greeting from the men's, greetings from the men's retreat. As I left them, they were mostly sitting around studying the Bible and sharing their feelings with each other and, you know, things men do, you know, talking about how much they miss their wives, so on and so forth. They're miserable, but they'll be home. And <laughs> Let me continue from where I was last week. I talked to you last week about uh, this being a two-part sermon. I, I, I hate to go in the, the tradition of Rocky movies, but it looks like it's going to be a three-part uh, message. Um, I want to give you today the help that the Scripture gives us in building resurrection relationships from an emotional, psychological standpoint. Point some things out from Scripture that will help you have totally new relationships with the same person when you need them. And then next week, I really want to talk to you about the covenant implications and what a difference the Holy Spirit makes. So I just can't drop it at this. I've got to to go on one more time, if you don't mind. Even if you do mind, I have to. Let me remind you where we were just as a a context finder. In 14, uh, it's Mary that uh, is described when, after she has, has talked with the angels, says that when she had said this, said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And I told you last week that God always asks us rhetorical questions. He does not need the information. He needs us to process what he is saying one more time. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away... Tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Now, if you want a literal prophecy of this, uh, in John chapter 10, Jesus himself predicts, talking of himself, how people will know him in his resurrection. It says, 
in verse 3, to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. Now she heard his voice, but she didn't recognize him right away. What's the next line here? And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. There is therefore not a visual recognition immediately here, as was the case with most of the people who knew Jesus most intimately. And we postulated or hypothesized last week that there was some sort of physical change going on with Jesus. There was some sort of metamorphosis that would not allow them to recognize him immediately physically because he was weaning them into the hearing his voice mode method as we must hear his voice. Okay, let's go on. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren. That's the first time he ever calls them brethren in Scripture. He's called them servants. He's called them disciples. He's called them friends. He's never called them brethren before. Go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Okay? Remember, last week we said that this was not about Jesus withholding himself from people's touch. He commanded Thomas to touch him. He was not afraid of the touch. This is, again, a present imperative verb in the Greek tense, which means don't continue repeatedly holding me, and then there's brackets, as I am right now. Because if I am to be to you what I promised to be to you, you cannot love me as you loved me in the past, and I cannot love you as I loved you in the past. There's a better way. Don't hold to my own form. My old form is not the future. And we said last week that that is the way with many relationships. Instead of letting them change because something has become brand new, we try to hold to the old form. And that's why they become brittle and break up. Because we will not change the form. It is very important to note this. Resurrection is not improvement. Resurrection requires death. It requires burial. It requires completely walking away from something and then a whole new relationship in the future. Now, we don't like that very much because we don't do very well with new things. The old is much more familiar. We have experience with the old. Even if it's lousy experience, we've got experience. And that gives us security. We will go to great lengths to just keep a relationship like it was and try to improve it. There is a, there is a, a common grave in Concord... And in that grave are the bodies of five British soldiers who came over to fight in the Revolutionary War. The inscription on the tombstone reads thusly, They came 3,000 miles to keep the past on the throne. We will go to great lengths to keep the past on the throne. Even when we can't do it, we'll die trying to make it like it used to be, only better. You see? Because we're afraid of things 
in which we have no experience. You know, Reader's Digest uh, every once in a while has quips of, of, of out of a paper, quotes out of the paper, actual quotes that were in the paper. And a few years ago, they had one that I just could not believe. It was from a classified section of a paper. I can't remember what paper. And it read like this. It was in the help wanted section. If I can remember all these words. Wanted someone to work on a nuclear reactive isotope uh, molecular... uh, Wait a minute. Nuclear reactive isotope molecular... No, 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 no. I'm getting, I'm getting all mixed up. Nuclear, what's that word? I don't know. Isotope, uh, molecular reactive counter, and a three-phase cyclotronic uranium photosynthesizer. Now listen to this. No experience necessary. LAUGHTER you know what? When, when people face an unknown future in relationships, they feel like they're going in just to that kind of job. They can't even pronounce what it's going to be. And God's trying to tell us no experience necessary. God's trying to say to us, you can do this. I'll be with you. You don't have to have experience. We ain't buying it. Most of us aren't buying it. Some spouse comes in and lowers the boom on us in such a devastating way, we can never possibly redeem the relationship we had. And God's saying, look, there can be a better relationship. There can be a new relationship. And we're thinking to ourselves, but we don't have any experience with this person. It's a whole new ball game. Someone we love who has been a part of our lives dies. And the whole world will never be the same again. And we just want to crawl down there with them. And God is saying, no, you've got to go on from here. You can do it. No experience necessary. We aren't buying it. Because it looks too complicated, too deep. We have no idea how to do it. A friend gets angry. Or a kid grows up. And the world is never the same again. A catastrophe hits, and our relationships have to change completely. And God is saying, no experience necessary. I'm in this with you. You can do it. We're buying it. That's why it is very difficult for us to think about resurrection relationships. We just want to go to the old relationship and make it better. But I'm telling you, if you don't know by experience already, that in many relationships... It's not possible to make the relationship you had better. You either start over or your goose is cooked. It is dead. And you've got to trust God to bring it back so that you can have a totally new relationship. Now, this scripture gives us three hints in the psychological, emotional arena as to how to let that happen. Read along with me. Verse 18. It says this. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. By the way, the first missionary was a woman. Stick that in your pipe. 
I have seen the Lord. Write this down in your mind, if not on your paper. Usually, in the overwhelming number of cases, you have warning about the changes that are coming up. You have warning. You have just ignored it. God sends an announcement that says there's going to be a major change in this relationship and you haven't taken note of it. It was that way. How many times did Jesus talk about his own death and his own resurrection? You look at John 16. He even gives them the reason. In verse 22, says, I'm going to go away. You're going to be sad. I'm going to come back so that your joy may never be taken away from you. He gives a perfectly good reason. And then when he's taken away, they go, gosh, he's gone. And when they get the announcement that he is back, they ain't buying it again. As a matter of fact, in Mark 16, there's a little indication that Jesus is a little miffed because they wouldn't buy the announcement. Look, uh, Let me read it to you. Mark 16, verse 14. says this, And afterward he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. Usually, we have warning that there's going to be a giant change in the relationship and we haven't paid attention. Do you know how many people? Well, you probably do because you have the same people say the same things to you. I should have seen this coming. Now that I look back, I can see it all fits together. Now, don't accept that as a matter of guilt. Accept that as a new way of looking at a relationship. You know, usually as a pastor, I say, well, nobody could have said, nobody could have told you this was coming. Well, I'm lying through my teeth. I just want to comfort them. And they know I'm being stupid. Yeah, I could have known if I would have paid attention. Pay attention. Pay attention because big changes are coming. Do you know, even with the literally dozens and dozens of people that I've spent time with who have had people suddenly, without warning, taken from them, a good portion of those people even have said, you know, somehow I'm not surprised. There was something in my spirit that said something was going to happen. I had a premonition. Even with those those situations, there's some warning. Pay attention. And pay attention in a way, link this with that now, that allows you to hold on to that relationship, listen to this word, loosely. Loosely. I don't know how many of you water ski, but I know probably a good portion of you have tried it. And I don't know who taught you to water ski, but I remember the guy that taught me to water ski. He gave me two rules. Here were the rules. Bend your knees because it's going to get rocky out there. Sometimes it's smooth, but very seldom. Usually you have varying degrees of shocks. And you've got to have something to absorb the shocks other than your whole body. So bend your knees and let something absorb the shocks. In other words, stay loose on the water. And the other thing he said to me, most important thing I've heard in a long time. When you fall, let go of the rope. 
When you fall, let go of the rope. Now, I have seen some people who were so tense, when they fell, they didn't let go of the rope. And you see this for about 10, 15 feet, this fan of water. You know, they're trying to hold on to this thing, you know. Water just pouring over. It slows the boat down. It's not any fun anymore. When you fall, let go of the rope. Why? Because you can't get up from where you are. You've got to sit in the water and wait for the rope to come around again. When a rope comes around, then you try again for a whole new ride. You don't redeem the ride you're on. Listen, very important. If you have fallen in your relationship, let go of the rope. Chances are it'll come around again, and you can try again. But don't be drugged through the water because you won't let go of what you've got. Let go of the rope. Hold on loosely. Let go of the physical Jesus. You know, Mary was saying to those people, let go of the rope. Okay, um, let's go to the next one. If you will read in verse 19 and 20. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, the disciples, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, I love this. This is a common everyday greeting. I mean, you talk about the understatement of the year. Can you imagine how it's going to be when you die? Think of when you die. If you're a Christian now, you're going to go to heaven, and you're going to see people who were very close to you who also love Jesus. Think of somebody like that right now. Okay, somebody very close who you know is in heaven right now. You go to heaven, you walk in the pearly gates, and they're standing there, and they go, Talk about an understatement. You know, Jesus comes back and says, Peace be with you. Now, they couldn't comprehend it. He had to say it again. When he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Now, we're talking whole new relationship, but I want you to see this. Jesus shows them something of the past. He won't have those hands in that wounded side forever. But he shows them the valuable things that he paid for the future relationship they'll have. And by doing that, he said the past is not abrogated. It is not invalidated because we're going to have a whole new relationship. It was necessary in order to have the whole new relationship. Second thing I want you to write down on the tablet of your mind. If you are shocked and devastated by what you're going through in a relationship, the first thing Satan is going to say to you is, you know, you never really had a good relationship in the first place. That whole thing was a mistake. You never really had a happy marriage. You never really had a good friendship. Those kids never really did love you now that they're gone and they won't call you anymore. They never really did love you. You never really did have a friend. If you really had a friend, they'd still be around. So the first thing Satan tries to get you to believe is that the past is invalidated. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, no, the past is the price that you pay for the future. And it was necessary. It was prologue, but it was necessary prologue for the future. Let me... uh, guide you to Hebrews chapter 9 verse 23 
This is just one place in Hebrews where it talks about how the Old Testament had made evident the New Testament before the New Testament got here. The Old Testament was necessary so that we could understand the New Testament. Some denominations say, well, now that we've got the New Testament, the Old Testament is invalid. It doesn't apply anymore. It's not worth anything. Can I remind you that the very word New Testament means there's still an Old Testament. And it still is a process toward the New. Look at this verse. It just gives a sense. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Okay? Let me give you a sense of that verb, that, that, that verse. It says that what we went through were, was a mere copy of what God wants us to have someday. And you will look at your past relationships and you say, you know, they weren't the ultimate, but they were a copy. They were part of what God was forming in my life. God doesn't want me to stick with a copy my whole life, but neither does He want me to throw the copy away because it had a place in my life. Please look at the past relationships you've had and learn from them and know that they are there for a purpose. You don't cling to them forever. But God put them in your life for a purpose. And your time was not wasted, and your life was not wasted. God built into you something that you needed for the future in those past relationships. Pay attention to them, and prize them, and value them. They are part of the heritage of your future. Third, it is very important. Let me read to you from the scripture again. It is very important that we... Uh, well, let me read this. Jesus therefore said to them, Peace be with you. I had to say it again. As the Father sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now let me just insert this in case you don't make it back next week. This is very important to understand because there, has been, there have been some pretty giant misunderstandings in the church with this verse. The other, one of the other places you see this verse is in Matthew 16. And Jesus seems to be giving that authority to one man. I want you to see he is not giving it to one man here. He is giving it to a group of people. In Luke, there's even more than just the disciples there, and he is imparting the Holy Spirit to them. I want you to see two things. First of all, the Holy Spirit only comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from a man. It doesn't come, if you're Catholic, it doesn't come from the Pope. If you're charismatic, it doesn't come from some charismatic preacher blowing in a microphone. The Holy Spirit comes from the Lord, and no human can dispense the Holy Spirit. Only God. Two, I want you to see this is a collective thing. The Holy Spirit is of the church, and it is not so that men can have authority, but so that men can recognize what God has done. This is not the authority to pin people's sins to them and not forgive them. This is the discernment to see 
what God has done with that person and to speak it to that person. All right? Now, that is very important. And again, in the Greek here, the verb tense says God has already done this and all we're doing is, is recognizing it vocally, verbally. All right? So it's not we who are doing this, it's God. All right. Now, but that's not my point. I'm going to get into more of that next week. This is my point. From an emotional, psychological standpoint, very important. When you sense that there's going to be a change in the relationship, it is very important that you give who you are to deposit into that person. The, the other scripture where it says that God breathed the Holy Spirit into somebody is Genesis 2.7. In Hebrew, it says God bent over and, and, and gave them the ruach, the, the spirit, the breath of who he was. He deposited into the person who he was. This word is not used in the rest of the New Testament. It's only in the Septuagint in the Old Testament in Genesis 2.7. And what this is, is this is a totally new life being formed with the deposit of who Jesus was. Now listen. Most people's inclination when they feel like there's going to be a major change in the relationship is to draw back. To withhold until they figure out how it's going to, how it's going to go. That is just the opposite of what Christ did. Just the opposite. He says, no, I'm going to give you a piece of myself. I'm going to deposit myself in you. Most people who are going through relationship trauma do this. They say, wait a minute, I had it just a minute ago. They say, oh, my brain's going so fast I can't catch, can't catch up. Uh, uh, deposit. Um, uh, wait a minute, I got it here. I got it. Don't, don't go away. Boy, it'll catch up with me later on. Okay, let me just go on from here. There, there, was, a, there was an elder's wife one time who, who said something very wise. She had no idea what she had said, which is how wisdom comes out. Most people don't knowingly speak wisdom, which makes it wisdom. Um, but she said, you know, every time I get in a relationship and I feel like it's time to back off, that's the very time it is to go ahead. And to put myself into that thing, that task, that person. And that's very, very true. Most of the inclination we have is to withdraw and to leave them to themselves, to not impose ourselves on anybody else. Oh, here it is, here it is. Most of the time I hear people saying this. It, it keeps coming in and out. Most of the people most of the time I hear people saying this. I lost it again. <laughs> I did. I did. This is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. <laughs> oh! I hear people saying, uh, I lost it again. This is terrible. It'll come back. It'll come back. Okay. Point is, the point is, to give yourself to somebody so that... The, oh! Here it is. <laughs> Honest. I hear people say this in a relationship. 
This is terrible. Would you pray? Just pray for me. Just pray for me right now. Pray for me. God, if this is to, if this, if you want this for your people, make this come clear. If this is just my idea, don't let me remember it. Throw it out the window. Um, in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay. Let me go with another one. It's, it's gone for a minute. Let me go with another one. I read a, a uh, Psychology Today. I get Psychology Today a subscription. It just came back on the stand. It went bankrupt. Um, but I got a subscription, and the most recent subscription did an examination of the 20-somethings generation. Are you ready for this one? Now, if you, let me apologize to you. If you're 20-something, let me apologize up front. You're probably not even meant uh, for this particular description. But an interview with business people says this. An interview says that people in their 20s are more slow to commit than any other generation. They are angry that they have been left a world that is so messed up and they don't know what to do with it. They are not given to altruistic professions. They don't go into nursing or social work or whatever. They want the professions that will earn them the biggest bucks with the least money. And they are very, very slow to give their lives into anything other than selfish pursuits. Now, Psychology Today, not a religious magazine, looked for the reason for this. Do you know the first reason they came up with? They said this is the first generation that has literally had to raise itself. The parents were so busy with their own lives, didn't talk necessarily about work, just talked about parental activity and the the parental uh, preoccupation with their own lives, that they did not deposit their lives into the lives of their kids. And so here we've got a generation of kids who have no foundation, who do not have the voices of their parents telling them about the basics of life. And they can't commit because they don't have that. Could I say to you, when you are going to sense a change in a life, as you know kids will grow up, deposit your life into that life. They can reject it if they want to. But if you never deposit it, they have no choice but to wander around lost. They need your values. They need your faith. They need who you are. Now I remembered it. Listen, most of the time people go through these relationships that they go through, they become who they think the other person wants them to be. Anytime there's a trauma in a relationship, we become fakey and we start to give the answers that we think the other person wants to hear. And we think we're being sensitive. We're not. We're being frauds. Look, if you're going to get rejected, at least get rejected for who you are and not for who you tried to be so that you could hang on to the rope. Deposit your life into their life and then leave it to the Lord what happens. Tell them who you are, honestly, what you think, honestly. Invest it. It may get lost, but it may come back in resurrection. You know what? Oh, we need to go. Um, my kids, 
Do your kids do this? Do your kids imitate you? My kids imitate us. They are merciless in their imitation. One of the kids will, you know, Beck will say, supper's ready, and, and, and one of the kids will say, you know, I'm not really hungry, I don't want to eat. And before she can say anything, another one of the boys will go, oh, now, honey, you have to eat. You guys need your vitamins and minerals. minerals. Joel, tell him he has to eat. You got to eat, you know. It, they just, and they have it down to a T. I mean, it's embarrassing, but it's hilarious. You know, it's hilarious to listen to. Let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. Who can imitate you word for word? As many people as can imitate you word for word, those are the people whom you have deposited your life into. Think about that. And keep on giving. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for speaking to your people in spite of me. Thank you for the model of Jesus and his words and his life that we also can have life and not just imitate it. Thank you that you are teaching us. Help us to give up our hold and to depend only on you and the things that you bring to life so that we might have relationships with them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.